So it's what's called a Stonewall Sport Horse. And you see the fineness in her build rather than how O was chunky and sugar. That's this one over here. Today, we're at the ranch. Rebecca's horse ranch and Lisa's cattle ranch. She's the mama of the little colt, black colt that's inside. We have a little boy. Rebecca and Lisa are two residents of Gaston County whose livelihoods and futures are threatened by the mine. We visit them on a Saturday, driving first to Lisa's, then to Rebecca's a few hours later. We tour their land and meet the animals, Rebecca's horses and Lisa's cows. Like in the heat of the day, they will go under the trees. And you know, that's why we leave trees in the field. They're windbreaks and they're also shade for, for the cows. We talk about their work resisting the mine that Piedmont Lithium wants to build right by their homes. Rebecca is helping to organize community opposition and Lisa is providing knowledge that forms the backbone of their resistance. We ask them what this work means to them and why they are pursuing it. Did, did she lick it? She just did a little nibble. Yeah. Oh my gosh. This is episode four of Mining for the Climate. I'm your host, Grace. Today, I'll discuss how the idea of the mine is disrupting the futures that Lisa and Rebecca imagine for themselves, and how they are choosing to respond. We pull into Rebecca's driveway next to a small pasture where O, a black and white spotted stallion, is prancing. That's so funny. Rebecca greets us with her German Shepherd Duke tagging along. We chatted in her driveway before settling at a picnic table near the horse barns. I'm Rebecca Buck, and I'm a resident of Mooney Road, right around the corner from where Piedmont Lithium is proposing to close down the roads and build an open pit mine. We have a horse operation and a retreat. This is called Flint Ridge Ranch. Rebecca moved to Gaston County in 2011 with plans to start a horse ranch. Her and her husband started bringing horses over and breeding them. Now they raise 10 horses. Rebecca describes herself as a person who has lived many lives. In her first life, she worked in commercial art and design. In another life, she was a competitive martial artist. And in another, she helped bring water to rural Ohio. Now she's a computer technician and a horse breeder. Rebecca, in her own words, is multifaceted. And you only need to look inside her truck to know it's true. Horse saddles, computer parts, and martial arts swords are sprawled across the back seat. At Flint Ridge, Rebecca is planning a horse retreat program where people can be in nature, interact with horses, and practice martial arts like Tai Chi. This was a dream she had been working toward for a while. We've been building our dream here and was hoping to expand it, but since 2016, our lives have been in limbo because that's when lithium swooped in and started creating havoc out here. As we talk to Rebecca, we begin to understand that she's not going to let her dream go. 
Lay down. Come here. I know. Lay down. But you're hot. I'm sorry. He's all excited. He's We've been out in the field, so he's, he's ready to go. He's like, why are we stopping? When we visit Lisa's ranch, we are once again greeted by dogs as soon as we step out of the car. Lisa has three, and they follow us to her wraparound porch, where we sit overlooking the fields and woods. Lisa is a cattle rancher, but in one of her past lives, she worked in the quality control lab for FMC, formerly known as Lithium Corporation of America. The very first two weeks I worked for that company, I was told, you know, you read these manuals, this is all about safety, and it was drilled into me the hazards of working with such a caustic, volatile element. They never once tried to sugarcoat that and say, oh, you're perfectly fine. Lisa's commitment to safety from working in quality control remains with her today. One of her core concerns with mining companies is their ability to run safe operations. This fear extends to Piedmont Lithium. I'm kind of getting that the stance Piedmont Lithium is taking is that this is perfectly safe. It's 100% safe. And I'm like, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Now, Lisa works on the ranch with her husband, a third-generation farmer. They have 250 head of cattle. It is hard, hot, very low-paying work. You absolutely have to love it and have to love to serve people. Lisa tells us that even though most Americans don't know where their food comes from, farmers like herself continue to feed them anyway. She explains that their job is ultimately about providing for others, whether they receive appreciation for it or not. We do feed the rest of the world. It's not just one group of farmers. It's not just one state of farmers. It's all farmers together, collectively. Now, with the possibility of the Carolina lithium mine, Lisa worries that her livelihood will be threatened. She believes that the agricultural landscape will be changed forever, making farmers especially vulnerable. This area of the county is mainly agricultural. A good portion of what they have under their control are agricultural fields. So you will never get that food supply back. Along with the precarity that Lisa feels regarding her future, she also has a profound sense of abandonment. Lisa explains that where she lives, phone signals are poor and internet access is limited. She says she can't rely on emergency responders to come promptly when called, and she has little faith in the local government to represent her. We ask Lisa how she feels about the governing bodies involved in determining the fate of the mine. I would love to have faith in those commissions. I really would, but no, I do not. And the reason I do not is because of the history where they have made decisions that have shown that they are not listening. Lisa tells us about a small airfield just behind her house. She says that hundreds of community members signed a petition against its construction, but the county still approved and built it. When an entire community shows up and are against something, and it happens anyway, it kind of lets you know they aren't listening to us and we cannot 
put all of our eggs in that basket because they will turn their back on us. They have before. We are on our own. We really are. You see the raspberries coming right, the red? Rebecca walks us through her pastures to the edge of her property. She points at the parcels of land next to hers and tells us which are held by Piedmont. That's the fence line. So Piedmont Lithium, from our understanding, has bought that entire farm behind us. And there's a creek down below. I don't know if we can see it. And the guy that I told you about, see the roof right there? That house was built last year, and I think that's the guy that I was talking about that's the property manager for them. Rebecca started expanding her horse operation in 2016. She purchased a few Stonewall Sport horses, known for their distinctive black and white spots, from a ranch near San Francisco. That was a big move for us to bring horses from California all the way to put into the program and then find out that our program could be in jeopardy. 2016 was also when Rebecca first heard about Piedmont. Not long after, the hay farmer down the road sold out. That was when Rebecca realized her plans for the ranch were at risk. Wasn't happy about it, went from anything from mad to sad to totally devastated and crying for a while. I mean, we, I'm gonna puddle up thinking about it because it was one of those things, you know, when you're planning stuff and you put so much into bringing everything there and putting it there and we consider this paradise. This is a beautiful place. We've had beautiful places, but this was supposed to happen. So since 2016, Rebecca has adopted another life as an organizer in her community dedicated to preventing the open pit mine. You know, we're going door to door. We're helping to get signs out. We're helping people. This is a letter that got circulated. When Rebecca joined the local group that had formed in opposition to the mine, informally known as Stop Piedmont Lithium, she brought some ideas with her. One of them involved knocking on doors and speaking with neighbors directly. She also helps write letters with updates about the mine so her community can stay informed and encourages her neighbors to speak up and ask questions when they can. Rebecca tells us about a church meeting that Piedmont hosted two years ago for local residents. We heard about it last minute, and so then we told as many people as we could, and the place got packed, which was great, because it was nice to see the show of what was happening. As Rebecca recounts it, Piedmont dismissed their concerns at the meeting. They were condescending. They were just, you know, flip it. They wouldn't answer questions, and they pretty much didn't care. Rebecca felt that Piedmont treated them as uneducated country people who didn't know what they were talking about. This upset her. The mind threatened the future she had spent her life working toward. So she has been helping to organize opposition to the mine. But her work isn't the only way to resist. As Rebecca builds opposition through speaking with her neighbors, Lisa holds a microscope to Piedmont's paperwork. In the only meeting that Piedmont Lithium had with the county commissioners and the community members of Gaston County, it was July of 2021. 
they said that they had already had their 404 and 401 permits and a Title V air quality permit. These are water and air permits Piedmont needs to start operations. And in my mind, I'm thinking, how can they have this if they have no plans that they can share with the community? And that was one of the other things. We don't have the plans finalized. So I thought to myself, then how can you have permits if there are no plans? How is that possible? How is that legal? So I just started looking all of this up. Lisa has been combing through Piedmont's permit applications ever since. She studies the company's plans and shares her findings with the community. With many wanting more information, Lisa is providing an essential service. As she researches, Lisa also thinks of her elderly neighbors, whose lives are being disrupted by the mine. She tells us that she saw a post on Facebook about a neighbor's grandparents feeling pressured into selling their property. This was a tipping point for Lisa. I'm reading this story and I'm thinking, if that was my grandmother, I will see you in hell before I will let you harass my grandparents. And I felt that way about his grandparents. And I'm like, absolutely not. I will not let that happen. I know I don't have a dog in the fight, but I got in it. And I said, okay, what can I do to help you? Because this is unacceptable. Lisa is looking out for her community. She wants to protect their ability to lead the lives they envision for themselves. She is going through the documents so her neighbors can be informed and have the knowledge necessary to oppose the mine. But Lisa tells us it is a difficult process because much of the information is not easily accessible. She feels like the people who will be most impacted by the mine are being left in the dark. And like Rebecca, that their voices are not being heard. At the time of our conversation, Piedmont had not appeared before the community at a county meeting in two years. Lisa says she tried to communicate with their local office several times to no avail. As we sit together on her porch, we can tell that she is frustrated. I think, you know, the community absolutely wants a public hearing. At this point, I do not want to speak on the phone. I want to look in your eyes. I'm going to read you. I think you owe us all that. So many things have changed for Rebecca and Lisa since Piedmont came to town. The mine itself might not be a reality yet, but the idea of it has already altered the landscape of their lives. When we were talking in Rebecca's driveway, she mentioned feeling displaced by the mine. Oh yeah, absolutely we feel displaced because, you know, we're stuck because we can't sell. We've sunk a lot of money in here. So we're working, we're planning on being retired. Next year was our target date, but it's not gonna happen. So, you know, we have all these animals that could take care of us through our retirement, but we can't go forward. When we spoke to Lisa later at her ranch, she mentioned feeling a similar burden. There are several farmers this year with the threat of this that just said, you know what, I'm too old for this. I fought something along these lines my entire life. We're done. I give up. They will still refuse to sell to Piedmont, but they can't fight it anymore. The fight's gone. 
And we're kind of in the crosshairs ourselves. We're like, okay, I mean, we're not old enough to quit yet. We really don't want to give in. But if it comes down to it, we may not have a choice. We won't go down until we don't have a choice. But we may not, you know, and that's, that's the truth of it. We may be finished too and just don't know it yet. Like many of their neighbors, whose livelihoods depend on the health of the land, Rebecca and Lisa worry about their animals. They worry how their proximity to the mine operations might affect their comfort and safety. When I think about the constant noise of rumbling and blasting and this and that, especially with my older horses that one is half blind because she's blind in one eye and the other one is totally blind because she's got one eye missing and you know when they can't see and they have to be able to see to defend themselves and to protect themselves and the one that you hear out there crying she's the blind one cows are very skittish animals they are very peaceful most of the time but you take one spooked cow and you have a spooked herd and that's total chaos in any situation. They will run until they cannot run or until they break free from whatever it is that they think they're being held by. And then they just pile up and trying to catch them after they've been that worked up is, ooh, I can't even explain in words how frustrating that is. It's something that I worry about because, you know, in the summertime, we're shielded all the leaves and stuff, you don't hear the noises. But then in the wintertime, we hear the factories that are up in Lincolnton and in Cherryville. We have a toy airplane behind us, a field, and the airplanes will scatter and cause the cattle to run. And it caused us to lose three head of cattle one year. They were birthing and moms got spooked, started running in the middle of the birthing process, killed the calves, ended up killing the cow. So we think, okay, if that's that far away and we're still hearing and feeling it through the middle of the night, what's gonna happen if it's right here? And, and I'm thinking, okay, th these are toy airplanes and they're terrified of that noise. Any cattle anywhere around with the noise of the mine trucks, on a large scale level, it will be chaos. Their concerns go beyond the human community. On the one hand, Lisa and Rebecca worry about losing the way of life they have created for themselves. Both depend on animals for their livelihood. On the other, they feel genuine worry about the health and well-being of the horses and cattle, creatures who live outdoors and are susceptible to disturbance. The looming mine places Rebecca's dream of operating a horse retreat on hold. It threatens Lisa's livelihood as a cattle rancher. People in environmental justice circles sometimes describe injustice as something that impedes the ability of an individual or group to pursue a particular way of living. Take the 2010 BP oil spill, for example. The spill caused long-term damage to ecosystems that made it difficult for fisher folk to practice their way of life. Lisa and Rebecca's fight is not just about opposing the mine. It's about protecting their ability to lead the paths they set out for themselves and their animals. It's about determining their own futures. 
Rebecca tells us that her organizing work has brought her closer to her community. It's been great because my neighbors across the street that have been here longer than anybody around here, they're an older couple, I talked to them yesterday, and they says, you know more of the neighbors than we do. And I go, yeah, and it's only because of this. I mean, I could get you anyone from this road and around the corner all the way to the church. Any one of those people would be willing to talk to you guys, I'm sure. And she's right. After touring her ranch, Rebecca walks us down the road and introduces us to her neighbors. Rebecca tells them the latest news, and they share bits of their story. We get the sense that they trust Rebecca. She is becoming a spokesperson in her community. But when we ask her whether she considers herself an activist, Rebecca insists she is just one person playing a small role. I don't know whether I call myself an activist. You know, I'm nobody. I'm just one person here. It's just, I feel passionate about it. I feel passionate that it's just not right. And it's not that it's just not right for us. It's not right for all of our neighbors as well. And if anything I've ever prided myself on is I'm a person that helps people because nothing's worse than watching people get taken advantage of and standing by and watching it. So, yeah, I guess I am an activist. I'm not into labels. <laughs> Lisa walks us around her porch and shows us her land. She tells us about the other animals she shares the farm with like the wild turkeys. I've only seen the hen once, you know, and it was by accident. I happened to walk out early in the morning to drink my coffee and she was kind of walking down through the field. I could just see the top of her head. And I was like, oh, there you are. But it, especially in the evenings and early mornings around the field, you can just hear her calling. And I know the owls are here at night. We have a screech owl and a barred owl. And we had a picture of, of the barred owl. He flew up on the porch in the middle of the day one day and just sat there like, hey, <laughs> I'm like, wow, I don't know whether to run or take a video. <laughs> Lisa's land is beautiful and full of life, and she wants to protect it. At the end of our conversation, she reminds us what this fight means to her. My biggest thing is to Piedmont Lithium, to the county, to the state, to the federal government. Stop burying the truth or stop hiding it. Put the information, all of the information, and make it physically available, especially to this community. Give us everything. Give us your time. Give us your ear. Be honest. Be open. As we drove away from Lisa's ranch, I kept thinking about something her granddaughter recently shared with her. She said, I'm going to have to clean up this mess. Me and my friends and the people that are my age are going to have to fix this. And I'm not okay with it. She said, so be loud, be loud, and don't stop. Lisa keeps reading the fine print. Rebecca continues reaching out to her neighbors. They care for their families and animals and refuse to accept the path that the mine lays out for them. Instead, they choose to defend what they have. Lisa is being loud, Rebecca is too, and they aren't stopping.
Mining for the Climate is a co-creation of Nate Ogen and Juan Manuel Rubio, and is a production of Blue Lab at Princeton University. For their support and expertise, we thank, at Princeton, the High Meadows Environmental Institute, the Humanities Council, and the Office of the Dean of Research, as well as Cuvenda Media. This episode of Mining for the Climate was written and hosted by Grace Wang. Sound design was by Grace Wang and Juan Manuel Rubio. Our research and production team includes Max Whitman, Alex Norbrook, Grace Wang, Nate Ogen, and Juan Manuel Rubio. Music for this episode was by Purple Planet. Find it at purple-planet.com. Additional music tracks are from Shake That Little Foot and Cryo Meadows. Mining for the Climate was made possible by funding from Blue Lab, the High Meadows Environmental Institute, and the Office of the Dean for Research at Princeton University. We would like to express our gratitude to the following people for their generosity and kindness. Amir Adaryani, H.L. Bean, Locke Bell, Ian Bigley, Rebecca Buck, Chad Brown, Brian Dalton, Wyatt Julien, Larry Neal, Monique Parker, Adam Parr, Thea Rio Francos, Aaron Sanders, Lisa Strapp, Emily Winter, and Tom. At Blue Lab, we especially thank the lab's director, Allison Carruth, along with Baron Bixler, Maggie Pust, Jamie Collins, Jessica Ng, and Mario Soriano. At the High Meadows Environmental Institute, we thank Emily Amitage, Stacy Christian, Kathy Hackett, Nathan Jesse, Ryan Juskus, Zach Cato, Heidi Mihalik, and Laura Matecha. And at the Efren Center for the Study of America, we give special thanks to Nikwisha Tolliver.